Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Oliver Banks is back. I think I'm one of the most decorated guests, Ollie, if I say it myself, on your podcast, and I think you are on ours, so we're in uh, both in good company. How are you doing? It's a total pleasure, as always, Simon. Doing wonderfully. Good. How are you? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So th- this one really is the, the last time you're probably going to hear from us both together before the event on the 15th of September. So Productivity and Transformation, uh, well over 100 guests signed up. So if you want to come, there's a waiting list. You can sign up by both of our um, websites. But as we speak today, we're pretty much full. So fantastic. Thanks for getting on board. We can't wait to see you. We've got loads of great guests lined up, brilliant panels, all sorts of other stuff. But the four kind of things that support this event are our pillars. So there's customer, cost, colleague, and change. We're going to work through those today. We're going to discuss each one. We're not going to give too much away before the event. We are diving into our upcoming event, which yep. is less than a month away. It's about two weeks away now or so, which is incredible. What are your thoughts on productivity and transformation, Simon? Yeah, looking forward to it. Can't wait. Plenty of prep gone in from from all of us that have been working on it behind the scenes, our, our team and, and your team. So hopefully everybody who's registered to attend will will appreciate that. Some amazing content, some amazing speakers. Really a time to kind of, I think, you know, turn off your emails, turn off your phone, listen to some like-minded peers from your industry and maybe even different industries and kind of try and contextualize your plan. Hopefully there'll be some amazing hints and tips or you learn off some others there, meet some new people. Just, you know, how many times do we really get out of the office and just get some time to breathe and think and talk to people in our sphere? So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was reflecting, Simon, on actually our original idea for the event, which was going to be about the story of the future. But given everything that's going on right now in the world and in retail in particular, just didn't quite think that was the right fit, right? Which is why we took a bit of a pivot and said, let's focus on the challenges of the retail market today. Let's focus on the the different aspects of productivity, of transformation within that sphere, within the fact that we know customer habits are changing and people are under all sorts of financial pressure. We know that colleagues equally are under similar sorts of pressure and actually have come off a long period of stress from COVID, of course. We know finances are going to be challenged, whether it be around profit warnings, whether it be around rising costs left, right and centre, and there's going to be a huge amount of change, which of course forms our four key pillars for the event, that of customer, colleague, cost and change. And that's what we are going to be exploring today, Simon, right? Absolutely. So the, the fundamentals, I think you've you've set the scene well there. You, you can't hide away from the fact that these are going to be the most probably four important things in any business and whether you, you kind of add property property into one of those pillars as well under the cost one maybe yeah it, it's fundamental and you can't escape it absolutely absolutely so of course at productivity and transformation we're going to be diving into each of these four pillars in a huge amount of detail but today simon i hope we can just set the scene wet people's appetites get people thinking about different things And almost a bit of a a trailer to the event. If you are attending, then I can't wait to see you there. Shall we start with customer, Simon? Absolutely. Always customer first. Best place to start. 
<laughs> customer first, indeed, literally and metaphorically. So the customer, we, we've all heard about the changing consumer habits over the pandemic and as a result of the financial challenges that we face now. You know, there are perhaps many different aspects, but I wanted to dive as a beginning, dive into perhaps payment, Simon. What are your thoughts on the changing habits around payment from a, a customer or consumer perspective? I think I was surprised when I think it was a post office came out a couple of weeks ago at the time of recording that they'd seen a massive increase in cash being withdrawn. And the hypothesis was that it's because people are trying to manage their budgets more accurately and more consistently by taking out £50 and then knowing they've got £50 to spend. So mm. I think we've all, we've all talked about payment being more electronic, certainly post-COVID, digital, and certainly the big four grocers have gone through that or an, and are going through that exercise of removing man checkouts, moving us to self-scan, moving us to mm. belted self-checkouts or self-checkouts. So I can see the logic why people are doing that. It, it kind of surprised me and I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I was actually listening to a book recently called, I think it was called Good Habits, Bad Habits. And part of that was talking about the mentality around saving. And actually there is scientific data that says, if you are handing over a £10 note or a $10 bill or whatever, that physically feels a significant bigger investment than just scanning you know, your, your card or your phone or whatever for the same £10. As an individual, it makes you think about what you're spending your money on a lot more. So I, th I think it, in many ways, it's, it makes sense. But from an operation perspective, going back to cash, adds a huge amount of strain with all the sort of cash handling and banking processes that need to go in and around that. So that's going to be interesting seeing how that side, which has been declining for years and years and years and sort of, you know, took a massive step forward when, of course, COVID said contactless everything. So, yeah, interesting to, to see that swinging back. You've got some thoughts on buy now, pay later as well, Simon. But yeah, again, it, it, when we enter into recessions, the, the buy now, pay later schemes, and I'm sure you'll you'll all have seen them when you shop online, spread this cost over four months, spread this cost over 12 months, interest free, but there's those loopholes of if you miss a payment or you don't pay, there's a significant uh, APR, which is above and beyond probably most credit cards. I think th they get a bad press when we're in times of recession because... <laughs> I think I think the intentions are good to help people purchase things and, and we all like to feel good when times are dark and treat ourselves. Maybe they can't, but I think there's also that double-edged side to all of this of does it encourage people to stretch themselves further than they can physically afford? I, I'm sat on the fence, right? I, I don't have an opinion particularly either way. I mm. just see there's a, a very polarised view of them. Yeah, I suppose it's similar in terms of perhaps the pushback to cash. Is it is it easier to spend on a buy now, pay later scheme, should we say, than it is even to put your credit card in or a, a debit card, for example. Interesting, interesting thoughts. I'm sure we'll continue to see that change. Another changing consumer habit, of course, the elephant in the room is the whole online offline split and how that has evolved. Of course, in the pandemic, we saw a massive spike towards online. Since the pandemic, we've seen that back off a bit broadly in line with a little uplift from the fairly linear trend that we saw for years and years and years, which I think is is fascinating, actually. What are your thoughts on the whole online offline trend from a customer perspective? If I break it down into kind of 
two groups of online offline spend so i think for for food shopping personally we spend less when we shop online because we know what we want off the list it's very difficult to browse isn't it the offers are presented but when you physically shop a supermarket you'll look at the ends and think oh i'll have some of that i'll try this that looks nice oh i haven't had that for a while i think mm. we, you lose that yeah the the impulse side is is yeah. not there right so i think that may be a trend that grows because people will I assume find they spend less when they shop online. I may be completely wrong there. I think the other side of things, so fashion, certainly the whole Amazon piece, electronics, all that kind of stuff, you may buy more, but understanding that you're going to send some back. So I'm not sure if I'm a large, extra large medium. So I'll, I'll go for a large and extra large in this brand, knowing that I'm not going to keep both. And that's convenient. Typically returns are relatively cheap or free of charge, or you could drop them off in a shop. So I think overall, I'm sure it will grow. It'd be interesting to see kind of the the detail underneath of which sectors are growing and actually which are in decline over the next 18 to 24 months. Yeah. And I have to be honest, at the event, I'm really looking forward to hearing from Diane Whirl, who'll be exploring what some of the latest trends are in terms of how customers are shopping and where they're shopping, particularly with regard to sort of footfall analysis, et cetera. So that's going to be fascinating to see and hear. Shall we move on to colleagues, our second major pillar, Simon? Yeah, yeah, colleagues. Well, I think the the challenge with colleagues is how do you keep them in the, in the current uh, in the current climate? I'm sure everybody listening to this, everybody coming to the event, and those that will they'll follow up after the event, keep keeping your workforce at the moment in any industry. I think is really tricky. I think, and it'd be interesting to get your opinions. Are they costs are rising? Certainly, if you're a national living wage payer that that's tricky and there's an assumption that the national living wage will include under 21s from 2024 so a, a significant cost increase which we'll talk about later but i don't know i don't know what you see and i just think some of the salaries that are being paid for roles that i was doing you know 10 15 years ago a, a double even mm. 2.5 times more and i don't know how sustainable that is yeah it's interesting i think it's obviously we've seen a number of different pay increases with regard to national living wage and at the end of the day we need to remember our colleagues are people too and they are facing extreme inflation for all of their personal living costs that are going up whether it be petrol food utilities etc etc and you know the, the, even even though there has been that massive increase you know no one gets rich working on the shop floor unfortunately it's i think it's a great start to a career but it's arguably not not a career that everyone will choose because they have their sights set on other factors. I know retail is a massive starting point for many careers. I think it's about 75, 80% of people start their career in retail. And as a result, I'm always sort of excited by the amount of talent that is in there. And actually, you know, cost, cost will come back to in a minute. But if you are not keeping your people and you are letting some of that talent walk out of the door. How many future CEOs have left this year, left the industry, left to go and become, you know, an accountant or whatever it is that they're going off to do? I think that's always an interesting thought. Yeah, and I think the world's changed. You talked about kind of COVID in payment. People maybe want to work from home more, which is pretty difficult if you're in a, a live customer facing environment and maybe part of some of the the exit from the industry clearly brexit we're not really sure i don't think what impact that's had i know from a 
a hospitality kind of point of view, it's really difficult for them to get housekeepers, for them to retain waitresses and waitresses. So there, there's certain organizations and industries that are acutely affected others are maybe seeing some of that and i like some of the stuff that's coming through so for me just giving people more and more pay rises feels quite blunt and isn't relative to the fact that at some point prices may plateau or even fall because that that's baked in so organizations looking at different metrics in terms of some of the softer benefits for colleagues incentive schemes some giving one-off or reviewable cost of living kind of bonuses so therefore it's not baked into to base salary so i think there's lots of opportunity i just worry for those that are increasing their cost base significantly because you're locking that cost in what does that mean for the the greater population of colleagues in that organization longer term yeah absolutely i think the other couple of elements to think about from a colleague perspective are the colleague jobs have changed significantly whether it is the massive spike in driver roles, which I would argue is still a retail role. You know, it used to be a store associate many years ago, but as e-com takes a greater share of market and home delivery becomes increasingly important, then actually becoming a driver is just another form of retail colleague to serve the customer. But also thinking about some of the additional tasks, you know, that different colleagues are taking on and actually the opportunities that presents as well. To your point, you know, it's just not having a colleague doing the basic stuff. It's about actually what's what's the art of the possible. I personally love what John Lewis are doing with regard to their influencer campaigns. I think it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And for the right people, that's a great step in their in their career and for the company as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. So let's go to the big one that I'm sure is on lots of people's minds at the moment, cost cost balancing the profit and loss and all the cash flow is a huge focus right now and cost efficiencies and cutting waste is definitely high up the agenda as it often is to be honest but there is there is an important point here about focusing on value adding elements and making sure that you're doing a greater percentage of value add rather than just snipping through costs based on I don't know, perhaps a cost heat map or something like that, right? Yeah, I think, you know, removing non-value add, digitizing process, stopping process has always been on the agenda. I think people are having to be a lot more clinical and push those boundaries a lot further. I, I called some, when we'll talk about it at the conference, but you might hear me talk about the ugly list. Yeah. I think most organizations have done the easy stuff and hence why kind of we exist and, and you exist because if it was that easy, there's that motto, you'd have done it yourself. So I think being benchmarked against your peers to understand where you, where you sit in a, a relatively industry group is, is massively insightful now because if somebody else in my industry can get to these levels of adding value versus non-value add, how, how have they done it? What are we missing? Obviously, there's way to go. If you're top of the league or the benchmarking, where do you push further? But yeah, I think there's a whole piece around property. We've talked before, Ollie, about kind of reviewing store estate, you know, how can you carry those stores that are borderline break even anymore or, yeah. in, you know, in points where the online presence is greater than the physical presence, how do you maintain that leadership structures? Again, everybody's going around, but we're now at the point of, do I need one of those in every store? Can I group stores, satellite stores? So 
this will push the boundaries, but inevitably will then push innovation, creativity, which hopefully plays back into helping to lower the cost base and adds value back into the customer. So if we get it right, it should be, we should come out of this in a much better place. But I don't for any at any point think this will be an easy journey for most organisations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, cutting the store tail, so to speak, is is always a conversation that comes up in harder times, right? Whether it's sort of macro or micro harder times. But of course, there's all the negative PR that comes with that as well in terms of such and such a retailer is closing 200 stores. Isn't that awful? And then I'm sure we can expect all the <laughs> death of the high street headlines, etc., coming out. But thinking about cost, though, you know, it's just a bit of a chronic situation at the moment. We've got, you know, rising energy prices and utility prices. Cost of goods is massively spiking. Raw materials, labour, fuel, transport, shipping, logistics, all of these different things are all increasing all at the same time. It's kind of a bit of a hangover from COVID and supply chain crisis and all the silicon chips and technology crisis and building materials, etc. You've obviously got Ukraine-Russia war, which is is challenging, particularly utilities and fuel, etc. Global financial crisis is like properly, properly big. I mean, there's there's not really any comparisons, are there, Simon? In terms of, I know we we can look back at what 2008 or so, but that wasn't, I would say, from a certainly a rising cost perspective, wasn't quite so critical as we are right now. No. No, no. And I think there's a real danger we get pulled into the media doom and gloom of, of all of this. And I'm, I'm not... <laughs> Sorry about that. That's uh, not what I meant to, meant no, to do. <laughs> I'm not, not belittling this in, in any way, shape or form. But I think people have got to see opportunity. So the opportunity to rework how things are done. And we've seen it in some of the car manufacturing things where, where they've been short of some of the chips they need for the reversing cameras and key fobs. They've then manufactured a way out of those chips that they don't need them. So mm. I think it will drive things like that, which hopefully lead us in a better place. I'm, I'm sure, you know, rising cost of petrol is going to force people's hands into electric fleet. But maybe it doesn't work today, but that will then force the manufacturers to come up with batteries that can do six, seven, eight, nine hundred miles, can be recharged yes. in 20 minutes. So it, it will fast forward some things and turbocharge some things, which will be immensely beneficial. Clearly, there's going to have to be some sacrifices to buy that. And again, we, we've talked about capital expenditure is, is going to be really tricky for some organizations because where do you get the cash from if cash is cheap? It's easy to borrow, but if interest rates are going up, then it's more difficult to borrow. So everything's got a real dichotomy in terms of how you make your decision and and what that possibly could lead to or the longer term consequences of that. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think sort of, you know, capital availability and actually more importantly, the return on the capital is going to be critically important and actually making sure that you are getting the best bang for your buck out of every pound or euro or dollar that you invest is going to be hugely important. And I think with that, it kind of leads us on to our fourth pillar of change, right? And how do you actually make the changes, deliver projects in a successful, efficient and effective way? What are your thoughts on the change pillar, Simon? I know we've done a kind of podcast dedicated to this aren't we in terms of the whole transformation piece whether it's i call it evolution or, or revolution i think there will need to be some 
evolutionary points there'd be journeys probably back to the kind of whole electric car or electric van fleet for online deliveries is an evolution you're not going to buy a fleet and do it overnight but i think some other things will need to transform so yes. using those you know lean six sigma principles all that kind of stuff which is embedded in lots of organizations these these teams are going to be at the forefront of lots of this even more so than maybe they've been before but it's going to have to be transformational change it's going to be uncomfortable it's going to be nerve wracking for some organizations and that there'll be some mistakes along the way which is, is just part of the process unfortunately but if you don't transform you're just going to chip away at the edges and it, you're probably going to struggle to see that benefit see that saving see that increase in whatever customer metric that that you're looking for does that make sense yeah absolutely it does and that's actually to be honest why i'm so excited that our event is called productivity and transformation with a particular stress on the word and actually, because I think you do need to think about, as you say, evolutionary and revolutionary, the productivity side that is optimizing and turbocharging your current business, as well as how do you reinvent and push push the business forward for the future as well. Again, excited to hear from Ian Shepherd, who's doing our closing keynote. And Ian, of course, has written a couple of books, including Reinventing Retail, and has some superb thoughts on both how do you optimize a business for these challenging times, but also at the same time, how do you transform it and get it ready for the future such that as time passes and as the market does improve, which of course it will do in time, you're there ready to ready to catapult yourself. I'm sure you've heard the phrase around, you know, great companies are forged in hard times. And I think that's absolutely going to be true for the next 18, 24, 36 months, however long we're in this journey for. Do you agree, Simon? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As ever, the strong will survive, won't they? And it it will represent opportunity for those companies. You only need to look at kind of Mike Ashley and his group and somebody in the high street falls into difficulty and, and Mike's there. If you like him or not, irrelevant, he's keeping lots of people in retail in jobs and and he will buy those companies and take it into the sports direct mold the flannels mold standalone so there will be some winners out of this there always is unfortunately there'll be some losers but i think as you say the, the strong will survive and and will prosper yeah absolutely absolutely so buckle in <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's uh, going to be a roller it's going to be a roller coaster that's for sure indeed it is indeed it is and that's what we're going to be exploring at Productivity and Transformation on the 15th of September. I cannot wait. It's going to be an absolutely awesome day. As we've we touched on today, we've got a couple of amazing keynotes to proverbially bookend the day. But in between, we've got some incredible panels, fireside chats, lots of opportunity for networking as well. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And lunch will be good too. I've seen the menu. And lunch will be good too. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, thank you so much. As always, it's a pleasure to catch up with you and I can't wait to rock the stage with you. No, I'll make sure I've done my air for it. I'm sure you will have done. And I'll uh, I'll see you on the 15th. (laughs) See you then, Simon. Cheers.